0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike. Obviously, this is my 88th podcast episode. Hopefully, it won't be my last. Today, we are eschewing, that's a fancy word, to say that we're ditching the normal podcast format because we just had last night the 2018 midterm elections. Politics, pretty big deal nowadays, and I wanted to just get my, ha- my head wrapped around everything that went down. So, I'm thinking, who am I going to call? Who can I talk to that will be sort of uh, an impartial but informed, well-educated member of our great uh, electorate here in, the, in America to help me figure out everything that happened last night. And I call this guy, Jamie Rubenstein. Jamie, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Now, uh, the reason I, I chose you, Jamie, is because... Nowadays, everyone seems to be picking a side, right? But you're the one guy that I see on social media all the time. You actually go to Snopes to debunk conspiracy theories from both sides. (laughs) You actually, you know, give uh, some shine to people from all different political parties. And even though you live in San Diego and you're from Massachusetts, I feel like all your travels in between have made you a pretty balanced, uh, well-maintained, you know, mental person for this kind of a discussion. Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> that's that's about the highest
1: compliment you could pay someone in this political environment nowadays, right? right? Yeah, no kidding.
0: Oh, all right, man. So let's get right into it. Um, I mean, midterms last night. A quick recap: uh, Republicans they keep the Senate. Uh, in fact, they flip two extra seats. Uh, Democrats take the House. Uh, Governors flipped seven seats. Now it's I think as we're recording this on Wednesday morning, uh, it's 25 Republican seats, 22 Democrats and governors. Uh, Connecticut and Georgia still not official, but that'll be a Democrat and a Republican uh, respectively. Um, So that's pretty much But the big takeaway. Republicans keep the Senate. Democrats take the House. Governors are almost 50 50. For you, though, Jamie, what's the biggest thing, as you were watching last night, as you woke up this morning, what's the biggest takeaway that we as Americans should be taking from what went down in the midterms?
1: I I took three main takeaways from last night. Ooh, One, a bonus it, triple. Absolutely. No, they always come in threes, don't they? And
0: <laughs> good news and bad news, I guess.
1: Right. Well, actually, it's a mixed bag today. I would say it's good and bad, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. And of course, in midterm elections, you can always expect the pendulum to swing back one way or the other and never to the extreme. Right. So you said it yourself. The Republicans keep the Senate. The Democrats take the House. Uh, That was expected. If you read polls, if you don't believe polls, you, you could feel the the pulse of the country that's kind of the way it was going and and with the House going blue, there's a substantial check in Washington on the president now. Uh, he won't feel he shouldn't feel like he can continue bulldozing his policies through without making sure both houses in Congress are to some extent on board um, and so that's that's part of that healthy swing of the pendulum back toward the middle, however, If I'm a Democrat, which I personally am not, I'm kind of in the middle here, but Democrats should save some of their confetti uh, because it was not a massive repudiation of the president's policies. You saw the Senate go more red than it was last night, um, which should signal to the country that if you run allied with the president, you're going to be rewarded by mass constituencies throughout the country. The House flipped, but a lot of people still um, hold on to the idea that the president is taking the country in a right direction in some areas. A lot of people uh, will think that he's right on immigration, that he's right to stoke the fears of what uh, mass immigration, both legal and illegal in this country, could mean for overall demographics and, and crime and safety and whatnot. Uh, those are messages that really carried with Republican voters. Um, so that, that's, that's my first big takeaway, balance across the board. Um, the other is women. Let's talk about the fact that a record 277 women ran for governorships, U.S. House and U.S. Senate seats last night. And as of this morning, I believe we have 117 of those women have won. Uh, which is another record, more than 100 women in the House and Senate. Never seen that before. And we still are waiting on 20 more races that involve women in the House and Senate. Um, so that's, that's a huge wave that I think we could expect. This is the first election we've ever had in the Me Too era, where there is more attention on sexual abuse and sexual harassment and what it means to be a woman in the workplace and a woman in society facing these fears and these threats um, to to themselves, to their safety, to their careers. Um, and that spotlight has boosted a lot of women into these positions of power. Um, and, and I look uh, to see that trend continue moving forward. The last one is more of a, I'm going back to the blue-red balance here. Um, where is the country shifting? And one of the things we saw in President Trump's Uh, victory in 2016 was that the middle part of the country that was staunchly blue for a generation uh, went red. I'm talking about Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, parts of Illinois, and Iowa. Uh, That center of the blue wall, if you will, kind of deteriorated and went Republican. Last night, we saw that flip back in the Democrats' favor. And so that, if you're going to take any takeaway from that, look to
0: that as momentum for the Democrats heading into 2020. So if you're going to pick one word, you wake up today, you're a Republican and you're a Democrat, pick one word for each. What's the one word to sum up your feelings for either side, putting all that into perspective? If I'm a Democrat, the first word I said this morning was
1: good. 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 We got the house. The bottom didn't fall out. Uh, The blue wave wasn't the tidal wave that I was daydreaming about for months. Um, But I think we got the job done in terms of putting a solid check on the president for the second half of his first term. Not great.
0: Good. Good. All right. How about the other side? We
1: we were we were hoping to get a Democratic senator in Texas, but Ted Cruz beat Beto O'Rourke by an inch. We were hoping to get some Democratic governors in Florida and Georgia. Florida was lost uh, to the Republicans. Georgia, the jury is still out this morning, but it looks like it's favoring red. But we're good. On the other side. If I'm a Republican, my one word is... Hashtag I told you so.
0: (laughs) That's a cheeky little 2018 way to fit a lot of words into one, but I'll let you slide. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it
1: works. Um, When I say I told you so, I I told you that Republicans that were going to win were going to have to be aligned with Trump. I told you that Trump's message is going to resonate throughout this country, and people are going to want to fill the Senate Uh, with people who continue to move his agenda forward. Um, I told you that we were going to lose governorships because that always happens in midterms. And I, as a smart Republican, would have said, uh, would have staved expectations and said, we're going to lose some of those seats. But we didn't lose as many as Democrats thought we would.
0: So moving forward, how does this affect policies. Obviously, it's a a sort of a check on Trump and he can't go bronking bull like he maybe has shown the tendency to in the first two years. What can we expect short term, long term? Is this going to be just a deadlock for getting policy and legislation done? Or is it just two more years of headbutting across the aisle? Can you see what we saw last night meaning anything in terms of positive or negative momentum in terms of what we actually see our legislators do?
1: That's a really great question because we can stare at the scoreboard. and of course, I did all last night because I'm fascinated with the math behind all these politics. But at the end of the day, we're regular Americans that are affected by policies, not who is sitting in what seat and what color tie they're wearing, right? So I'd hope so. yeah. The policy, <laughs> on the policy side, I'm no expert, but I would guess deadlock for the most part on a legislative front. Um, I think that Democrats in the House are going to feel a duty to their constituencies to stop the Trump agenda from moving an inch forward. And at the same time, the House Democrats cannot expect to move forward any agenda of their own because they would have to get past the Senate and then the president's veto. It's not going to happen. So the next two years, I think the Democrats in Congress are going to hope to move just try and keep punts going back and forth and eventually kneel the ball until 2020 when they try to make a substantial move for the white house.
0: If you want to keep the extended metaphor going, they really need that number one draft pick to come in and save their franchise. Cause we talked about last night, all the democratic uh, superstars you mentioned Beto or work by name, but Andrew Gillum, um, you know, I mean, you can go down the line. I had a whole bunch here that, you know, but basically everyone got wiped out from the democratic mm-hmm. side in terms of their up and comers. So if the idea now is for the Democrats for the next two years to just punt the ball, play the field position game and hope for their savior in 2020, what is the Republican game plan for the next
1: two years? To show that Democrats have obstructed everything they've tried to do from today through the 2020 election. If nothing gets done in Washington, the Republicans can point at Democrats and say everything you voted us and Trump into power to do, we haven't been able to. Because a bunch of Democrats, mostly on the coasts and back on that repaired blue wall in the Midwest that I talked about earlier, have put a stop to everything we were trying to do to make this country great.
0: I was going to ask you what, uh, how Trump will react to all this, how he'll take the news, but uh, I'm just looking at his Twitter feed, and it's it's expected as we thought. He's he's claiming victory that last night was a great night for the republicans and has already as i look at this uh tweeted 22 minutes ago about the uh the the Mueller investigation so it's back to him being about himself do you see this affecting him personally at all or is he just going to be business as usual moving forward while everyone below him kind of scrums you know rugby scrums for the next two years no i think he's playing
1: his part and reading his script perfectly uh according to how i assume he would want to he's he's stoking fears Um, he's got the Democrats on stage with him, so now he can play off them and show his base. Uh, This is what I warned you about. I I knew that they would try to obstruct my agenda. I I told you that they were going to mar this country in an endless stream of investigations into me and my cabinet members and other ranking members of Congress, perhaps. Uh, That was one of the things he tweeted this morning. Two can play that game, uh, referring to... Uh, The investigations that Democrats in the House are now daydreaming about launching against the president, having subpoena power to bring in whoever has been in contact with Trump. He said, I'm going to have my buddies in the Senate do the exact same thing and we can just have a tit for tat for the next two years. When the country is marred in this type of back and forth that doesn't result in any substantial policy change, uh, then Trump is a master at scapegoating the other side and, and using that to mobilize his base and get them out
0: to vote. Will this ever end? Because I feel like he can do this for two more years, and then who knows what the Democrats will come up with. Are we just in a place now where for the next twenty years we're just going to be deadlocked and people blaming other people on their side? I don't see why not. I. I well, that's encouraging.
1: I don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be a doomsayer here, Mike. I, I'm. I'm all about mourning in America, but. Right now, it, it seems that since... I'm just going to put a year on it. Since the 2004 election, which was four, six years after I started being aware of politics. Um, that, that was the year that George Bush beat John Kerry uh, to regain the White House. And you saw a lot of social conservative ballot questions in states across the country that really got out the Republican vote. That was when I started seeing... Uh, Tightened shift toward the polls, extreme left, extreme right. And I think people are feeling like to win office, you have to run to one of those polls in order to win. We saw moderate Republicans get shellacked last night. If you're red and you're not aligned with the president, you probably lost big in the primary to somebody more extreme to the right than you. And if you didn't, you lost last night to somebody who was viewed as more extreme left and got out their vote in a more uh, effective way. So I, I think people are running to both sides to try and keep that rope, essentially, that, that ribbon on the tug-of-war rope in the middle. Um, and I, I, I don't see that reversing itself anytime soon, I'm, I'm sorry to say.
0: Although it's not just politics, to be fair. You look at sports talk, right? First take, mm-hmm. uh, Skip and Shannon, there is no place anymore for someone in the middle. Even me, I'm going for jobs and stuff, and I have people telling me, well, you need to be, take, you know, you gotta need to take, you got to take a side, you got to be on this side or that side. I feel like everything these days, there's no place for anyone in the middle. You have to be far one way or far the other. I'm just worried if that's an American thing across the board that we're now stuck with, and politics obviously is the most, uh, I guess, logistical one that will affect us on a day-to-day basis, but... That kind of sucks. I was just watching the other day. Did you see the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary came out earlier this year?
1: I didn't, and I'm really excited to. It's
0: really good. Uh, it's on Hulu now, I think. But uh, her confirmation hearing, she was approved like 94 to 6 or something. Yep. I can't even imagine getting close to anything near that now, especially after going through Kavanaugh and, and all that. And I'm just wondering if that's a, an America that we're never going to see again. Well...
1: Trump picked a very polarizing figure in Kavanaugh. He, he, was, he was not an open, shut, confirmed case like a Ginsburg or even an Elena Kagan or some of the other – Sotomayor, some of the other uh, recent nominations we've seen. He, I, I think he's encouraged by the theater, and he wants to stoke that anger on both sides. Uh, look at some of the Democratic senators who lost their seats – to, uh, to the Republicans last night, and in every article I read about those losses, they pointed first to them voting no on Brett Kavanaugh. And that is what got out the votes in those moderate to red states um, to push them out of office. So Trump, I think, is one of the leading figures in trying to galvanize people to one side or the other, and he wins when we have these most extreme fights.
0: Alright, I want to run through a couple of quick things uh, from last night. Who sure. ran, who ran the, uh, the best and the worst campaign from what you gather? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I would
1: honestly say the best campaigns were run in general by those who doubled down on aligning with Trump And sticking with his message board, everyone was surprised that Trump went really hard on immigration and didn't talk about the strengthened economy that we've mostly been enjoying. Um, And the tax cuts that were once hailed as the the shining achievement of the Republican party in, in the first two years of Trump's presidency, he bailed on that message and they stuck with him. And anyone who did, one last night, anyone who is accused of race baiting on the Republican side during these races and never apologized for it and doubled down on what they said. And I I think that they benefited from that as well, which points again toward people being rewarded for polarizing. Um, and, And so I don't just throw out a term race bait and not explain it. Um, there were two races that I thought of specifically. There was the Florida governor race, um, where Ron DeSantis early on said to his voters, Don't monkey this up, uh, when clearly referring to his black opponent, Andrew Gillum, running against him for governor, and never apologized for that statement and doubled down, saying, I, I said what I said. This is what I meant. Please get off my back and do the right thing. Um, Another one was Duncan Hunter, my congressman in California's 50th district. Uh, that race has not been called, but I'm calling it. Uh, Hunter's going to sit back in that seat. Early on, he uh, said that his Muslim opponent was trying to infiltrate the U.S. government. That That's a clear dog whistle uh, to stoke the fears of Republicans worried about a literal changing face of American politics. and And that got his voters out. So... I hate to say it, but I think the best races run last night and over the campaign were by those who, who doubled down on stoking fears and anger in the American
0: public. Which is sad to put that in the best column. Uh, so now I'm kind of worried to see who ran the worst campaigns. Anyone that really fucked up in your eyes? I I hate to say I, I, I didn't follow enough to, to have an
1: answer to that question. I'm
0: well, that's good, then. Maybe no one really stood out that badly, and maybe we have some competent people running for office across the country. That's my silver lining way to look at it, I guess.
1: Maybe. It's possible. Um, one interesting race in, in that category that I was following was, again, in my home state of California, uh, the Senate race between two Democrats, uh, leading Democrat in the Senate for a long time, Diane Feinstein, held her seat Uh, But by a a much slimmer margin, I think uh, seven, eight, nine points uh, than originally expected. Her challenger, a young Democrat, 30 years her younger, um, uh, Kevin DeLeon, was outspent by Feinstein, but but still really closed that gap. And I I think that if he were to play to a more moderate audience, he might have gained more traction, obviously. The key to his victory would have been if Republicans tried to vote for him and and you can't market yourself to Republicans. You'll shoot yourself in the foot the next election cycle. But um, I I, I'm going to wonder over the next day or two what he might have done to take advantage of of the current environment and oust uh, Senator
0: Feinstein. All right. Next one. Which voters will most regret their decision? Ooh, that's a really good one.
1: Um, I think actually, and this is not a cop out, but I think those who are going to regret what they did last night are going to be those who didn't vote. There are a lot of close races, very close. I'm, I'm talking thousands of votes separating a winner and a loser for governorships senate seats we still don't know who's won over two dozen races from last night and anyone who stayed home because they're disillusioned by the political environment anyone who like in 2016 on the democratic side might have taken for granted that their side is going to win that they don't think their vote matters they should wake up and look at the very close math across the board and say you know what If I and my neighbors and this block and this half of my one town got out and threw our support behind this person, we wouldn't have had the policies that we're going to see going forward. Um, And so if you didn't vote, I, I hope it's hard to sleep over the next two years and that you think to yourself, all right, in 2020, I'm going to learn my lesson and I'm going to make sure my voice is heard.
0: Uh, To underscore that point, I'm just uh, scanning Twitter here because you never know what's going to happen live on this stuff. And uh, 10 minutes ago, NBC News announces a Nevada brothel owner who died last month has just been declared the winner of his heavily GOP state legislative district. So, yeah, go out there and vote, people, because there may actually be dead people who are winning your seats. And now you have to live with that and the consequences of it once that's all said and done. Wow, yeah, you know that—that's
1: that's real. It, it makes me want to go run. If a, right? if a dead brothel owner can win, then then what's my excuse? It can't right? be that hard. It's incredible. No, um, but it, you know what? Huh. That 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 opens up another interesting can of worms. Why would you vote for a dead brothel owner? Because you hate the platform of that person's opponent. You know that dead person's not going to sit in a chair in the Congress. That would stink up the chamber. So they're going to replace a yeah, hell of a
0: weekend at sequel, though.
1: <laughs> it would be one to watch. I might tune into C-SPAN. <laughs> um, but no, they're just going to put somebody else of the same platform of that dead broth longer in that seat. And I think that's what a lot of voters thought in California and New York last night when they voted to reinstate. Again, my congressman in California's 50th, Duncan Hunter, who is currently indicted on fraud and campaign finance crimes, as well as look at Western New York, where New York's 27th district has just uh, reelected Chris Collins, who is currently indicted on insider trading crimes. Why would you elect someone to Congress who's indicted of a crime? Because you hate what the other side, what that person's opponent represents and you want to make sure that at least someone who wears the same color tie as you is sitting in that seat come January.
0: Yeah, same thing here in New Jersey. Uh, Bob Menendez, uh, you know, so many allegations about corruption and underage yep. prostitutes, but I think the Star-Ledger, the state paper, their actual headline and their endorsement was pull pulled your nose and go with Menendez because it's literally just going against the opposite uh, party at this point and having someone who's not going to rubber stamp a Trump administration move and that's what a lot of people are thinking whether you're on one side or the other. Um, last one about last night before we go big picture to close things out. Sure. What surprised you the most last night? Because there was so much speculation everything kind of played out to the polls but what was it that you woke up this morning or you went to bed last night and you thought wow, did not see that coming? Well,
1: I'm, I'm a libertarian. And one of the things that surprised me about last night was how many races were so close that the amount of votes that the Libertarian got in that race was more than the margin between the two leading candidates, meaning that that Libertarian, if that person was not on the ballot, it would have been an open-shut victory for one major party or the other. Um, And of course, as a daydreaming libertarian, I like to think that that is going to shine a brighter spotlight on not just libertarians, but all third party options and make major party candidates think, how do I market our platform and our causes to more moderate and centrist and alternative voters and make sure that they're under our tent as well? What's going to happen in actuality is both major parties are going to look at libertarians and other third parties and say, thanks for fucking it up for me last night. (laughs) Right. We could have used you there. Exactly. It's just going to be more anger. And why don't you drop your, your stupid noble side cause and get back with the program and get to one side or the other so that we can stop playing politics and start executing them? Um, so libertarians get ready to play scapegoat again today. I'm talking the Iowa governor race, Arizona Senate, which was not a libertarian, but a green party, uh, candidate that threw a wrench in that race. Arizona Senate, I believe is still too close to call this morning. Um, you had the Maine governorship, uh, nearly, uh, near split there thanks to an independent candidate. Um, overall, 44 libertarians ran for office on the ballot last night, which which heartens me. But but I've also got my shield up because I'm ready for Democrats and Republicans to come at me with. Why are you guys mucking up the picture?
0: Yeah, well, get ready for that, because uh, you're right. That is coming your way and other mm-hmm. third party supporters ways for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, as of right now, Arizona little too close to call, but that did lead me to something else I wanted to mention, because there are two more trends that I think, and the last question I'm going to ask you is basically, what are we going to be looking forward to in 2020? So start thinking about that, but yep. Arizona they're going to have their first female senator no matter who wins uh, because they were all females running. So Mm -hmm. Arizona and Tennessee, the first female senators in those states' histories. Um, Jared Polis, first openly gay man elected governor in Colorado. Uh, Democrats elected two Muslim women in Michigan and Minnesota. Uh, Kansas and New Mexico had two Native American women. First time we've ever had them elected to to such offices. So the demographics of our representatives are changing. And that's the one point I, I wanted to bring up. And the second... Is that, and we've seen Republicans do this before, but Democrats now are voting more. I look at the raw numbers from last night. There were Democrats. Democratic votes cast, there were 136 million of them, almost. More than that, I think. Republicans, a little over 118 million. But I tweeted this out. It reminded me of the uh, 1960 World Series. And I'm sure the Venn diagram of politic uh, aficionados and 1960 World Series aficionados is is very large. Uh, But the Yankees lost that World Series to the Pirates in seven games even though they scored more than twice as many runs as the Pirates across that whole series, because when they won, they blew them out, but when they lost, they lost tight. And I saw that a lot last night where, you know, you look at Cuomo in New York, or a lot of people in California, these liberal states, that were just crushing their opponents, but then the Republicans were squeaking out these wins in places like Florida, Ohio, um, Texas, etc. So taking those two things into consideration, Jamie, and whatever else you want to add to the soup here, What are we to expect the next round that we're doing this again in 2020 when it's assuming Trump for re-election versus candidate X against him and Y and Z on third and fourth party ballots? What do you think all this means for us when we got to get this going again, this cycle in less than two years?
1: I think simply what last night's map confirms for everyone across the political spectrum is, where are the bullseyes in 2020? And I think we could have picked a lot of them. Um, but last night was kind of a, a home inspection to go around and see where are the cracks. What states are certain parties vulnerable in? We know that Florida and now Georgia are are on the map as major key swing states, especially if voters turn out in the same percentages as they did last night. Arizona. Nevada, Indiana is now experiencing a shift from blue back to red, but still very close to the center, not just the center of the political spectrum, but the very key geographic center of the country where where there's a, a lot of purple on the map uh, the day after an election. Uh, and so that's where I think a lot of the attention is going to be spent in 2020, Pennsylvania, I would put on there as another. That's a state where we saw a lot of House seats flip back toward the Democrats. So I, I don't think it, it, the environment is going to be the same. I think that we now have a clearer sense of where the battlegrounds are going to be.
0: So it's a lot of the same. We got swing states and battleground states and a lot of people on two sides arguing at each other. should be a fun next 30 or 40 years in our lives here in America. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Jamie, any last message for the American people on this day after the midterm elections? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, I'll stick my head out there and and make a bold prediction for 2020. Um, I actually think, and I, I can't believe that I'm putting my money on someone who lost last night. But I'm going to guess that Beto O'Rourke, the House representative and failed senator of Texas, is going to be the DNC nomination in 2020 and run against Donald Trump for the presidency. Um, We'll see if I'm right. Um, Usually I'm a jinx, especially in sports. So we'll we'll see if I'm right in this one. Um, Last message, I think, would be I loved seeing the turnout last night. Um, It was the biggest turnout in a generation. Uh, Maybe when the final early and and provisional votes come in, it might be the biggest midterm election turnout for voters in over a hundred years. And I think that while we're all worried about what the political environment feels like, no matter where you stand on the spectrum, I think if we're all coming out to voice... um, our opinions and and give our ballot power to these to these candidates together, that that that's a positive thing at the end of the day. So so I'm heartened by that. And I hope all your listeners are, too.
0: Yeah. Going into the night in all those reports about how early voting totals in some states were outpacing the total voting totals from last midterms. People are involved. And that's what, for better or worse, that's what Donald Trump has done. He has gotten everybody involved and invested in politics one way or the other. And yeah, we have this right to vote. Might as well use it, right? Why not? Might as well. Yeah. It wouldn't be the worst thing. Not too bad. And yeah, we'll see about Beto for 2020. I think that's a lot of Democrats' uh, wet dreams. And uh, hopefully, (laughs) you know, he's kind of like a a Barack 2.0 in terms of a congressman, or in his case, an attempted one, or senator who came out of nowhere, We'll see. Uh, it should be a fun two years because I'm sure the the campaigning cycles are going to start in no time. In yesterday. Yeah, exactly. As soon as the, the races were called, we're looking ahead to hit the 2020. Uh, it's going to be a, a long, arduous road, but that's what we're in for these days. So awesome. Well, Jamie, thanks again, man, for coming on and helping me break this all down. Uh, I really do appreciate it. It's always nice to have someone that knows what they're talking about to help me know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Thanks for doing what you do. I appreciate it. Uh, If you want to hear more of what I do, head to com. You can see uh, videos I've done, previous podcast episodes. If you're listening for the first time, head on over to wherever you're listening and uh, subscribe. Why not? I put out some good stuff every once in a while. I'd also love a rating and a review. That helps get the show in a lot of people's ears. So that would be awesome. And thanks for joining us this time as well. Jamie, really appreciate it. And talk to you soon, buddy. You too, Mike. All right, thanks to you guys for listening. I'll do even better next time. See ya!